Uh, I'm going to invite you all to turn into your Bibles to James chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 3 to verses eight, or 13 to 18 of chapter 3. And so this is a, a passage uh, that comes a little bit after last week where James was explaining what? He was explaining the importance of how we use our words, our tongues, right? How we speak to others. And the, the importance that Jane was giving there is the way that we speak to others reveals the reality of Christ speaking through us. And this is an important thing that we have responsibility for as the people of God. And today, James is going to build off that topic, but he's going to look at it from a more broad perspective. And, and he's going to look at it through the lens of of wisdom. And this is how James starts. He asks this question in the church. Again, James is writing letters to church at this point, churches that he was overseeing and networking. And he asks this question. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? It's a good question to ask for us as a church, isn't it? Who is wise and understanding among you. And, and it brings us to a sense of these are things we need to process. And, and how do we process this question? Well, well, first of all, how, how do we say who is wise here? How do we define wisdom? Is this something where we could simply have some Bible trivia game and whoever gets the most Bible trivia right, they're the most wise? Is it that simple? <laughs> who here has a really high IQ? Is this something where we could do IQ testing and see who the smartest person in the room is? Is this something that's based on age? Is everyone under 60 not wise and everyone over 60 wise? Who agrees with that? <laughs> A few hands right now, right? What do we see? Do, do we see who has the highest education credentials? How do we begin to discover and ask the question, who is wise among us? It's a difficult question for us to ponder as a culture and society. Uh, we use the terminology of geniuses in our culture. We use the language of people that are smart or educated. But for some reason, our culture doesn't talk nearly enough about people who are wise, do we? And so how do we define wisdom then? That's a good place to start. If we want to answer the question, who is wise in the church and, and how do we discover what is wisdom? Well, let's process that. What is wisdom? All right, let's have some conversation here. What is, what is wisdom? What does the scripture say? What have you processed from experience? How do we define wisdom as the people of God? Pardon? The wisdom of foolishness of man, right? Yeah, so it's, it's something distinct apart from the wisdom of humanity, right? Wisdom of God is distinct from the wisdom of humanity. That's a great place to start. Any other concept of wisdom? Yeah, it's different from intelligence. It's, it's not just about knowledge. It's not just about intellect. It's, it's beyond that. And, and how is it beyond that? It's God-given. It's a gift that's given to us. It's not something that we can develop in and of our own power. It's gifted to us by God. 
What are some other concepts of wisdom? Yeah, discerning what is most important to God. What does God value and do I value that? Because to live wisely is to live for the things that God values. What are some other concepts? Let me give you one hint. James in his writing, he focuses a lot of the teaching of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount and he focuses a lot on the Proverbs. How would the Proverbs define wisdom? Yeah, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, and so what is the fear of the Lord? Does that mean to be scared of God? Not necessarily. In some sense, we should be terrified of God because of who He is, but it's more of this concept of reverence, this concept of God is holy and set apart. God is the one who is wise, and we need Him. There's this dependence, there's this desperation for us to find wisdom from God. And so then we begin to start making a definition then. Well, well first of all, wisdom then has to be distinct from worldly wisdom because it is a gift of God. It is gifted to us by God. We as humanity are not wise in and of ourselves, are we? There's, there's even, I don't know if you spend much time on YouTube, but there's YouTube videos of people just being stupid. <laughs> there's a lot of evidence for the stupidity of humanity, isn't there? We, we desperately need the wisdom of God something beyond ourselves, and that comes from reverence, that comes from fear, that comes from dependence. And so that's the foundation then, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's relational, it's experiential of God. And then we build from that, we say, well, it's also not just about intellectual knowledge. Just because we know a lot doesn't mean we're wise. Wisdom is taking knowledge and putting it into practice, isn't it? What good is knowledge if you don't do anything with it? It becomes meaningless. W wisdom takes knowledge and puts it into practice. And so we're, we're building on this concept then. And then not only that, it's understanding that what God values is what we should value. And, and wisdom is saying God created us with a specific way of how He desires us to live and if we want to live our own ways, that is unwise. Yet if we want to live the ways of God and value what He values and live for what He desires us to live for, we are living truly wise lives. Now, this becomes incredibly important because most of the big decisions in life aren't that simple. They're not always black and white. Uh, think of some of the major decisions we make in life. When we think of something like, um, who am I going to marry? Is that not a big decision in life? If, you, if you're called to marriage, that's a big decision. Is that a, always a black and white answer? No, it's this, there's this dating process and um, understanding how to build relationship and what kind of person do you want to have a relationship with and there's this process that's going on. Uh, what about jobs and vocation? Does God just magically come and tell us, oh, here's the job you're going to do. You don't even have to think about it. Just go do it. No, vocation itself is this process. Is it, is it sinful to be a fireman over a policeman? <laughs> no, right? But it's this wisdom that God calls us to and all these 
big decisions or even small decisions in life where there's not always a drastically clear, concise answer, we're called to practice wisdom. And so to be wise is to have our thoughts shaped by a God-shaped view of the world where we see things through the perspective that God wants us to see them through. And so this becomes incredibly important. And, And this is what is crucial for us. James begins this entire letter to the church in, in chapter 1, verses 5. He, he asks us this question because it frames the entirety of what he's teaching. And, and the question is, if any of you lack wisdom, that's what James says in chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, who here lacks wisdom? Right? If you don't think you lack wisdom, then you really lack wisdom. <laughs> We, we all lack wisdom. So James says, if any of you lack wisdom, what should you do? You should ask God. In other words, you pray to God for His gift. You, you pray to God for His revelation. You pray to God that He would make you a wise person. And here's what's beautiful. What is God going to do when you pray to Him for wisdom? He's going to give it to you. He's going to give it to you generously. If you're someone who comes to God and says, God, I've made a mess of my life. I'm always making wrong decisions. I'm always walking the wrong path. I, I, I desperately need you to come into my life and give me wisdom. Is God going to ignore that prayer? No, he's not going to ignore that prayer. He's going to, he's going to give you that wisdom because you're depending upon him. You're calling upon him. And, and this is the exact ab- example we see in the life of Solomon. When God asked King Solomon, who was known as one of the wisest people that ever lived, when, when God asked him, what do you want out of life? And Solomon says, I want wisdom. God grants it to him generously. This is, this is the heart of the calling that God has for us. And so I, I want us to not just be hearers of the word, I want us to be doers of the word. So I'm going to invite us to stand up right now. Get you out of your comfort. And those of you who are sitting on your couch at home too, I'm going to invite you to stand up too. And and we're just going to, as a community, we're going to seek and pray for wisdom because we all desperately need it. And if we don't start here, there's nowhere to go. And and so I'm just going to invite you to to bow your heads, heads, place your hands out if you desire, and just put yourself in a posture of receiving and just cry out to God and say, God, I need your wisdom. There's so many things in life that are so hard to discern. There's so many things in life where I don't know what path to walk. There's so many things in life where I don't know the decision to make. There's so many things in life where I don't know the action to do. So we pray for wisdom. We pray that you would guide us, that you would direct us, that you would make your path and will and desire known to us. This is our hearts. We come before you with this desperate prayer knowing that we cannot find wisdom in and of ourselves. We as humans are professional at making a mess of life. 
And yet you have come to restore and to redeem our lives. And so we pray that your wisdom, gracious God, generous God, that your wisdom would fall on us. We pray this in the wise name of Jesus, the Logos. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. And so we come before God with this with desperate prayer, and, and this is what James says. He says it's, it's not just about asking God, but if, if this is truly the heart of your prayer, we can pray things without having our hearts behind them, but James says if this is the heart of your prayer, it's going to transform your life. And, and this is the way it's going to transform your life. It says, by his good conduct... Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So James is saying, wisdom has everything to do with your behavior. If you're truly wise, people are going to see it acted out in your life. How you act, how you talk, as James referenced last week, how you treat others, how you love others, not just your knowledge and intellectualism, but how you use that knowledge to bless or to love or to encourage and to teach. Wisdom is acting all these things out. And, and this is exactly James's concept. Remember when James said, faith without works is dead? In the same way, he's saying any mere knowledge without wisdom is meaningless. Things that you know, truths that you know, things that you know you should do or who you should be, if that doesn't get acted out in your life, it's meaningless. James confronts us there. And so James, what he's going to do is, is he's going to get into these details about the differences between what a false wisdom looks like in humanity and what the wisdom of God looks like. And so let's first of all look at this false wisdom. This false wisdom that James talks about in verses 14 to 16. This is what he says. He says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be what? There's going to be disorder and every vile practice. And so this is how James says, this is what wisdom looks like apart from God. This is what happens when God gives us generously to direct our past, to give us wisdom of how to live lives, and we say we don't want any of that. We want to be wise in our own eyes. We want to make decisions for ourselves. We want to have autonomy and make decisions forever what we want to do. And James gives this warning. He says there's this false wisdom that comes from that. And he says this is what it produces in the heart of humanity. It produces this bitter jealousy. There's this envy there. There's this envy because in reality, there's always someone living a better life than you are, isn't there? <laughs> 
And if, if the power to live is now all your responsibility, and you see people around you and you say, wow, they're making more money than me. Wow, they're way more successful than me. Wow, they're, they're more popular than me. Wow, they are more skilled than me. All of this breeds this bitter jealousy. It breeds this envy, doesn't it? And then it breeds this selfish ambition where it says, well, if, if that's what they're experiencing, I want to experience that as well. I, I want to take some of that for myself. Uh, I want to pursue that. And, and this is what happens. Then that person becomes prideful, doesn't they? Especially if they have any ounce of success, well, who do they get to credit to? Themselves. That's why James says, do not boast and be false to the truth. And so he's, he's given us caution of what worldly wisdom looks like. And he, he uses these three descriptions to describe it. He says, this is what happens with worldly wisdom. It doesn't come from above. In other words, it's not gifted by God. Instead, it is earthly. What does he mean by earthly? It means this is a wisdom that's driven not by God, not by seeking His will and His direction, but seeking life in my own, making my own autonomy and decisions. Then he says it's unspiritual. It doesn't seek after the things of God. It's this, it's this natural impulses that we follow in our life, these natural impulses and desires that drive our meaning and purpose and value. And, and James says these natural desires are actually very deceitful. They're so deceitful that he actually uses the word demonic. In other words, when, when you live your life the way that you want to accomplish things and you want to pursue things and you want to live pursuing those natural inclinations that you have, he says, guess what? You're acting the same way that a demon does. Why? Because a demon just looks out for its own interests. It doesn't love the people around them. It tries to destroy them. And they love nothing more to seduce people into thinking the way they do. So, so James gives this massive caution for this worldly wisdom and what it produces. And then he goes to this perspective. He says, this is the result of the wisdom of the world. This is what it produces. It produces disorder and it produces every vile practice. Does that not sound like the world today? Does that not sound like the world today? Disorder, confusion, chaos, corruption, vile practices, all the sin imaginable occurring. This is the world from a perspective of what happens when we pursue our own wisdom. Now, now here's the difficult thing for us to hear as a church. My temptation with a passage like this is to say, you know what? The reason why we see disorder, the reason why we see every vile practice is because secularization in Canada has increased drastically. So many people are choosing to do life apart from God, and this is the impulse that it creates. This is the culture in which it creates. That's my temptation. But who is James writing to? Is he writing to this secular culture? He's writing to the church. Isn't this fascinating? He, he gives this warning 
to the church. So he's saying what worldly wisdom is going to do is, is nothing is going to be under control. There's going to be disorder. Everything is going to be permissible in the culture. There's going to be every vile practice. And these are the results of the wisdom of the world. And James says, guess what? You think that wisdom is just outside your church community? And James says, no. That's actually in the church as well. And this is something that has to be dealt with in the church. And, and it's, it's fascinating to me that even as I was, I was studying this passage this past few weeks, and we have this drastic news of, of hearing something in history of vile practices, disorder, and justice. And we've heard the new news of the residential schools, haven't we? And we look at 215 unidentified, undocumented children who were again forcibly taken from their families with the purpose of complete indoctrination, colonization, assimilation, a grave injustice that was done. And we look at that event, and especially as the church, we, we have all these questions. How, how could this happen? How could this be done and the church be involved? I mean, it would be easy just to blame our government. It would be easy to blame our CMP. It would be easy to blame all these things. But in reality, we'll look at that point of history and we say, wait a second, the church was involved. How could this take place? How could this happen? And, and there's this aspect where James is bringing out, he says, you know what, when, when wisdom of humanity infiltrates the church, it will always cause injustice. When the church worships colonization and assimilation, it's going to practice cultural genocide, isn't it? And there's going to be disorder, there's going to be every vile practice imaginable because the church took its eyes off the wisdom of God and pursued earthly wisdom. There's this drastic point of realizing the drastic effects. And, and this is why James even gives this warning. Well, be warned because you're going to boast. You're going to think what you're doing is right. You're going to think what you're doing is accomplishing something good. When in reality, you are acting against God. And he says, in reality, you are false to the truth. You don't even have the truth of God convict you anymore. And your actions do not become that of God, but they become demonic. And, and this is this grave injustice that we can look back on. And we could say, you know what, that's, that was done by the Roman Catholics. We're not Roman Catholic. That was done at that point of history. We don't have this issue. But, but James writes this to the church of all generations because this is something that can easily capture us. This is something that easily can take our focus if we don't pay attention and continually seek after the wisdom of God. And so 
How do we, how do we then define the wisdom of God? If, if this is the wisdom of the world, if this is what has been defined, how do we define the wisdom of God? How do we prevent evils and atrocities like that from never happening in the church? Well, this is what James says. He says, the wisdom of God. He says, the wisdom that we pray for, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, we're praying the wisdom from above, as he mentions. It's first of all what? It's first pure. It's this purity of wisdom. It's this purity of wisdom. In other words, this, this has to do with the heart. This has to do with the motives. This has to do with why you're acting the way that you are. If, if Christ has brought purity in your life and he has made you into his image and you are a reflection of who he is and his character, he says, purity should be exceeding from you. Purity should be coming out from you. The purity of loving God and loving others and living and make them known, this is the purity that should be perceived from us. Then he says this, Wisdom is then first pure, then peaceable. Isn't that an interesting phrase? When you think about a wise person, one of the things you have to acknowledge is that they are a peaceable person. A wise person is a peaceable person. In other words, true wisdom doesn't cause, uh, cause quarrels. It, it doesn't create conflict. Uh, true wisdom seeks to unite. Uh, true wisdom doesn't seek to beat people with the truth, but in ra reality, instead, it reconciles and restores people to God and to others. That's wisdom. It's, it's peaceable. It's seeking unity. It's seeking oneness. What else does wisdom look like? Third, it's, it's gentle. Wisdom is gentle. I, I find this, this fascinating because true wisdom, then, if it's gentle, it's motivated always by this concern for the other person. It proceeds with this very caring heart for others. And it's this perception of gentleness as you approach someone. Then uh, he says, not just gentle, but it's, it's open to reason. Open to reason. If you're a wise person, you are always open to reason. And, and this is one of the great tests of, of married life. Anyone associated with that? <laughs> the temptation of always being right. Anyone experience that temptation? We, we experience that deep in our relationships of the need to always be right, but a wise person is always open to reason, meaning that there's a humility. They, they may realize that they were mistaken in something. They're, they may realize that they are flawed in something, and, and true wisdom isn't concerned about being right all the time. It's actually being willing to listen. What does James tell us? Be slow to speak and quick to Listen, that's being open to reason. Um, I remember during my, my seminary days, I had a professor, one of my papers, who wrote me something very helpful. And it was uh, in a, an apologetics class, so it was this def uh, class where you're writing defenses and use a lot of logic and arguments and all these make your cases and everything. And, and one of the things he told me in my paper, he said, Micah, 
unless you have the ability to describe and to define the argument you're opposing in a way that the person who believes that would agree with it wholeheartedly, then he says, you have no right to argue against it. In other words, if, if you don't know the other perspective, if you don't know the other opinion to the point where that person that would be arguing against you would be happy with how you're representing them, he says, you don't have a right to even say anything. Why? Because you haven't listened. You haven't heard. You're not open to reason. You just want your perspective to be smashed down someone's throat, which is always a temptation, isn't it? <laughs> but wisdom is open to reason. And then he says, wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits. Wisdom is merciful. Merciful. And here's what's, what's interesting. The, the wisdom literature is all about teaching, isn't it? It's all about instructing, and it's all about revealing the right way to live. And so often in life, when we experience people that speak wisdom into our life, what are they often exposing? They're exposing all the ways that we are not wise, right? And so truth then becomes very hard to receive, and if someone were just to completely come and confront you and tell you all these things that you're doing wrong in life, it's pretty hard to listen to them, isn't it? <laughs> but wisdom is merciful. In other words, wisdom will come in and speak to you graciously. Wisdom will come in and not just reveal the sin in your life, but actually seek to restore you. That, that's what mercy is accomplishing it doesn't beat people up with the mistakes that they've made, but wisdom is something that restores and reconciles people. And there's this um, impartial and sincere, I, I don't play favorites, I, I'm sincere, I, I am who I am, I'm authentic, I'm not hiding anything, right? So, so this is the language of wisdom. Th this is what a person of wisdom looks like. And if you want to be a, pers a person who, who prays for wisdom and, and asks God for these wisdom, well, here is a great place to start in defining wisdom, just asking the question, well, am I truly living pure in my heart? In other words, am I pursuing the things that God wants me to? Am I truly peaceable with others? Or do I create a lot of arguments and criticism and quarrels? Am I truly gentle and the way that I approach people? Am I open to reason or I just want my opinion to be known and made all the time? Am I full of mercy? Do I just condemn people or do I actually seek to restore them? Am I impartial? Do I actually care about everyone? Am I sincere? Am I actually authentic in my life? See, if, if you want to be known as a wise person, if you want to have a character of wisdom that is gifted by God, this is what it looks like. It's not this deep mystery. It's not this deep unknown. It's not this guessing game that we play as a church. James says, if I see this in your life, I know you're wise. If I don't see this in your life, then you're not wise. It's pretty simple, isn't it? And yet we, we convolute and complicate it so much. That's what the wisdom that Jesus brings in our life through the power of the Spirit. And here's the result. And this is my prayer for us, and this is, I hope, is each and every one of our prayers. A harvest of what? 
a harvest of righteousness. Well, what is righteousness? Righteousness is this context of I am in a right relationship with God. How do we become in a right relationship with God? Anything that we do, any power that we have? Christ alone, right? Jesus was crucified, died for our sins so that we could be restored to God. The only way we have access to restore our relationship with God is nothing that we could ever do or imagine, simply but what Christ has done for us on our behalf and our sake. And so righteousness is this right relationship with God where we get the gifts of wisdom from God and then right relationship with others. That, that means practicing all these things that James defines as wisdom for us. If you want to live righteously with others, this is what it looks like. So James says a harvest of righteousness, this seed that is planted of wisdom in your life and your community that grows and grows exponentially till you see this massive community filled with the righteousness of God. And it's this righteousness that's sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, what's this concept of peace? What's the Hebrew concept that James is coming from? What's the Hebrew concept of peace? Does anyone know? It's shalom, right? And, and what's this shalom? Well, well, shalom is this wholeness of life. It's living life the way that it intended to be. It, it's living um, apart from conflict and strife and chaos and disorder and sin. It's this wholeness that God has given us to live as his people the way we were intended to live. So, so James says when you live in righteousness and when righteousness is grown and harvest comes of righteousness, it creates the very fabric of your relationships and your mindset and how you view God and view others and live under those realities. There's the shalom that comes, the shalom that results. And, and why is this important? Because God has given us this gift. And what happens when we reject this gift is what do we create? We don't create righteousness. We don't create shalom. We create everything that he warned us against before. We create disorder and we create every vile practice. We create chaos and hurt and pain and strife and animosity where James says what God wants from you and what God is gifting you by the power of his Holy Spirit to receive and to experience is righteousness and shalom. That is what wisdom produces. So do we not wish there were more wise people in the world today? <laughs> if we wish that and we long for it, then we have to ask God, make us those wise people. Make us those wise people. We can't do it on our own we desperately need God. And so I'm going to invite you to stand with me again, and we're going to pray to that extent. Gracious Father, Lord, we first of all come in confession. We come in confession that we so often live in a wisdom that is our own. We so often live this life as if we are in control and we can make the right decisions apart from you. And yet, Lord, so often what we experience then experientially is sin, disorder, chaos, 
selfish ambitions, all these things that you do not desire and do not create good for the world around us. And so we come before you now in a deep humility that we so desperately need you, God. We, we need you in every aspect of our life so that we could be living as people who are wise, living as people who truly live in submission to you. And Lord, we know that as we pursue wisdom, that as there's disorder and vileness in the world around us, Lord, you will create this beautiful sense of righteousness. You will create a shalom. You will create a peace. Lord, we long for wisdom to flourish in our cultures and society. Lord, may we be a people who are wise. James, you have given us this warning as a church. May we take it seriously so that even as we look to the atrocities of the past, we would not repeat them. And Lord, even as our, our culture now sees what the Catholic Church did and they look at the church with, with ridicule and they look at the church with disgust and they look at what has happened and say, how could this be an act of God? We say with them, yes, you're right. This is what happens when the church loses focus on the wisdom of God. And so protect us from that. May we be a people then who show our community and culture a vision of the church that practices your wisdom and create a righteousness and a shalom rather than injustice. We pray that your name would be glorified in us and through us. We thank you, gracious God. We pray this in the name of Jesus. The church says, amen.